0: This is Jacks Dusty, and I still don't listen to the Order 66 podcast. I'm stuck out here on a hyperspace route with a broke-down freighter at a limited-service starport, little-known planet called Tumsuba. I'm going to get on my way shortly. Don't you worry about that. Old Dusty's still around. And, hey... One more thing for the Gamer Nation, and I want you to know... Games don't die. Gamers let them die. If you're stubborn enough, like Dusty, you live to be the right bold age. So, just cause some wizards don't want to renew their license, that don't stop us. We'll see you out there in the black, Gamer Nation. This is Jack Dusty, signing off.
1: This is Brett in Far Off China, and when I'm not bringing chaos to order, I am a Game On Minion.
0: D20 Radio,
2: your gamer's roll. www.d20radio.com. Execute Order 66.
3: This episode of the Order 66 podcast brought to you in part by our sponsors GoDaddy.com and Buy.com, as well as the generous contributions of the 20 Radio contributors Leonard Rubin and Matthew Fall. This, what I meant to say was this show is for you guys. We can't have a show without a technical snafu. Sorry, we are twenty-seven minutes late due to some incredible, incredible technical snafus. Brought to you by courtesy of the Semantic Corporation and Norton Antivirus, which is a piece of shit. That's
4: anyway. some uh, strong language there, sir. Without any uh, warning. Bigest warning. Yeah. I don't care. I do. We have little listeners with little ears that listen to this little podcast. Okay, so
3: semantic, and it's a piece of crap. Okay,
4: That's much better. That's much better, because, you know, little kids say crap all the time. Excuse me.
3: (laughs) Excuse Uh. me. All right, so here it is, episode 98. We're coming up on episode 100. Awful, awful fast. The Order 66 podcast. My name is Dave. Call me GM Dave, otherwise... Well, I don't. Uh, there's really nothing I can do if you don't. So, anyway, um, I'll be one of your hosts this evening, and with us, of course, is the incomparable
5: GM
4: Chris. Oh, 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 I'm incomparable. What is up, gamer nation? This is GM Chris, and for those who may be uh, stumbling into the Order sixty six podcast for the first time, welcome. This is the only podcast entirely devoted to Star Wars Saga Edition role-playing. And Dave, before we introduce TG, I have to ask why you played a bumper for Game On before our podcast.
3: Because the listener sent it to me and wanted me to play it. And um, he was from China and complaining that we said we never had any listeners from China. And so I decided, well, what the heck? I'll go ahead and play it even though it said Game On Minion. I'm like, okay, sure.
4: Fair enough. Okay. Listener request. I'll bite. I'll bite.
3: Yeah. So anyway, yeah, and, and the aforementioned, the incomparable Twi'lek like goodness.
6: Oh, incomparable. Comparable to what? Don't answer that question.
3: <laughs> um.
6: Yeah. Hello, Gamer Nation. I'm waving even though you can't see me. We also have a special <laughs> guest with us tonight, don't we?
3: Yes, we do. Oh, yes. uh-huh. Mapmaker, mapmaker, make me a map. Hello, gentlemen. What's and up? Lady. Christopher West, that's the voice you hear. Hey, dude.
7: Hey, how's it going, Dave?
3: Good, man. Uh, I appreciate uh, all the stuff you sent us, by the way, for our contest, which we'll get oh, to my in a pleasure.
7: second. And, uh, Very happy that it could be uh, useful to you. And I'm just going to step on you all night, okay?
4: That's yep, right. yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs>
7: Not a problem, man. Not a
3: problem. We'll just, you know.
1: Accessing. Ah, good. New acquisitions.
4: Greetings, Gamer nation. My designation is KCK Sim, and this is your Hollow News Net update. <laughs>
3: All right, so our feature podcast this week. All stop. This is our new podcast devoted to Star Trek online. And uh-huh. this week, bread and butter comes out. Bread and butter. And, bread and butter. Uh, <clears throat> that's right. So they talk is about it toasted? Yeah, it is actually. It's toasted and warm to the palate with a little bit of Yum. peanut butter added. Mmm. Yummy, mm. yummy, yummy. Mm. So join GM Phil or Admiral Phil, and Commodore Gonzo as they talk about all these things associated with the 66th Fleet and Star Trek Online, all ships named Enterprise. And I think they talk a little bit about the death penalties. Yes. As well as uh, unveil the official, the official uniform of the 66th Fleet. Nice. So, everyone... Set your course for the third star on the right and engage.
4: Engage. So, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Hey, you know the all the All Stop podcast is really great, but we have a lot of um, a lot of podcasts on the network. We're up to twenty now, if I'm not mistaken. We have twenty with wow. the twenty
7: first. Twenty first being added probably this week. Uh. So there are now twenty podcasts on the D twenty radio network?
3: D- yeah, go go figure. Twenty. Yeah, one's gonna pod fade, so we'll be back to twenty after we add the twenty one, so that's all right.
4: <laughs> Which one's gonna pod fade?
3: I can't disclose that yet.
4: Uh because he's still I hope th- it's not this one.
3: No, he's still got three episodes to go up and then and then eventually it's but it, it is on its last legs, but Aww. that's all right, you know, so and the twenty first podcast is um Oh gosh, and he'll kill me if I get the name wrong. But it it has something to do with uh, cult movies. So it's not like <coughs> it's not like Cinematic Attic, which really never puts a show up anyway. And <laughs> they've already got they've already got seven shows in the can and have proven their uh, worthiness. Hopefully the audio could stand uh, a little bit of a of a betterment, but you know they uh, they have some good content so.
7: Now, when you say it's a, a show about cult show, is it uh, cult? Like, is it about cultists? No, or no, no, no. Is it no, no, about no. movies like, that are cult hits?
3: Movies that are cult hits, like Slap Shot or Office Space, or you know that sort of thing.
7: What uh, about movies that are cult hits about cultists? I'm, I'm sure. See,
6: that's I'm, what I want to know about.
7: Maybe
3: they'll cover yeah. one. I don't know. I mean, hey, <laughs> I'm not, I, I, I they do not. Do that. I do yeah. not.
4: We do not know. But if you guys want to know all about the podcasts we do have, or podcasts that are coming out, head over, of course, to the main network page, www.d20radio.com. Yeah, that one. And, oh, and, and that one. And if you guys are in the podcast listening mood, Dave needs your help. And we've only got a couple more weeks to make this happen. Uh, it's been so, retracted. Are, you've already decided to retract it? Yep. Uh, fine.
3: Uh, yeah. Oh, wait. Um, you know what? Actually, what I was going to say... Was that, um, excuse me just a second? The BBC would like to announce that the next scene is not considered suitable for family viewing. I didn't get anything from any listeners, so fuck them. Aww. Oh.
4: You know,
6: there might be some listeners out there that would enjoy that, Dave.
4: Possibly. Just be
3: careful.
6: Oh. Must be
4: careful. I must admit, you're in a surly mood tonight. Is yeah, this the technical difficulties speaking? It's
3: the technical difficulties. It's the fact that my daughter's soccer team lost to a team that they never should have lost to today. And, Aww. you know uh, I'm just It I'm, rained. I'm just and it <laughs> rained. And it rained and it's been raining all freaking day. You know, my dog dug out of the fence. My palm trees are just about dead. Um, uh, you know what else wow. what else could possibly happen, you know? I mean You
4: know what you know you know what's gonna happen? What? We're going to have a good show. Yeah, Dave,
3: No, we're going to have a good show. I promise we're going to have a good show.
4: We're going to have a good show. So you know what? Despite your retraction, if any of you guys have any great funny bits you've heard on the Order 66 podcast that you'd like to point our direction for some type of possible montage that may or may not happen on our big 100th anniversary episode coming up here in a couple weeks, email to GM Dave d- at d20radio.com if you'd like to actually rip it and... um and record that snippet yourself. That would be most helpful. Uh, at the very least, though, if you could point to an episode number and timestamp, it would be
7: uh, useful. Yeah. All right. Very useful. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I may have to do some of those myself.
3: All right. So ReaperCon 2010 is coming May 20 to 23 in Denton, Texas. You guys come on up here. Radio, Hom- Radio Free Hamlet will be there running... Running D and D games, Order sixty six, mm-hmm. of course, will be up there running Saga edition. And I, I last I heard, Cat was planning on doing a little something. I think I yes. know you're get, You're planning on doing something.
4: Yes, I'm um, gonna have four sessions of Saga going. Yep, at I, least I will be in and out
3: because we have a soccer tournament that weekend. Uh but painting. You know,
5: <laughs>
3: yeah, she'll be she'll be painting. Yeah, that's so, it. Yeah, that's you guys ready. check it out. reapermini.com
4: dot Marvelous, 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 marvelous. And Origins 2010. Origins, baby. Columbus, Ohio, June 23rd through the 27th. D20 Radio's own Vader son, Duncan, will be running four games of Saga up there. He'll be running two sessions of, of uh, his own module, uh, Death on the Star of Agnor, and one session of the sequel, Requiem for the Star of Agnor. And he will, of course, be running the Wizards on the Coast uh, um, exclusive module that was released at Gen Con last year, Murder on the Executor. Um, another great mod. So if you guys are interested and you're gonna be up there, uh, find out more at www.originsgames.com. Dude. Dude. And Krista Excellent. Krista, I'm a little upset that we're not gonna be at Gen Con.
3: Well,
6: you know, I could like try to hold off having the baby for about two more months and then we could go. Yeah. It'd be would. the longest gestation in history ever.
4: Ever. Ever. Well, you know, I'll, I'll tell you what. Can you satiate me by telling me a little bit about it at the very least? Satiate.
6: Well, yeah. I, all it's going to do is make you jealous, but um, I'll go ahead. So, uh, August 5th through 8th is when Gamer Nation you can sign up for. It. And I think they've already released, you can register for it now. And yes. as they've released schedules. I think I saw an email about that, that they've released schedules um, of events and they've got room registrations open. Uh, and you can check out everything else that I don't know to speak of right now at www.gencon.com. And while you're checking it out, or if you go, don't forget the Gygax Memorial Auction.
7: Yes. Excellent. All right, I will so, be there, even so if we... you guys can't be, you bums. We talked yeah. a little bit about this uh, right
6: here. We're really lazy you guys like are, that.
3: If you guys are looking <laughs> at the uh, chat room right now, you know, for those of you that are not in the chat room and just listening to us late, huh, too bad. So here's the map of mapsofmastery.com the Desert Sanctum map on the back and the other thing. And, you know, anyway, that. See?
7: Hey, uh, I've seen that before. Yeah, uh,
3: I bet. I bet you have, <laughs> Mr. Photoshop Wizard. Anyway, there's your first prize right there a big Desert Sanctum map with the swamp caves. And that you know, and then then there's the other thing here, that other stuff you know, Millennium Falcon map. It's signed by Chris West. Even I've got like a folder here that's got it in there, and uh, there it is. See, look at that. See signature right there, baby. Boom. Chakaalaka.
7: Aluminum. I think algae. I've seen that before. It's, it's, it's alu-
6: a nice signature.
7: That's the aluminum. Mr. Oh, thank West. you very much. It, it, it took s- me about twenty minutes. I had to get it just right. Yep.
6: Yes. Well, of course. <laughs> you want it to be led. Well, to... unlike. So many artists out there who sign stuff—they make it as illegible as possible. Yeah, that. You can actually see what it says. It's very nice. Yep.
3: <laughs> then, oh, thank you. And then there's yeah. some, uh, like, some tiles uh, here. You know, like uh, map tiles that you can put on top of your map. And then I've got another map on top of that too. So we got lots of prizes for you if you design a an encounter around that swamp caves or desert sanctum map. Standard party I of five. I can't wait
7: to see what people have come up with.
3: Yeah, I know. I, I I'm starting to. And you have about uh, well, what, eight days. Ten, um, till ten the 17th. Days. You have ten days to get them in, Gamer Nation. Ten, ten, ten days, days to get them in. And we have seen none. So if none. Uh, you know, if we don't have any, we're just gonna take them ourselves.
4: <laughs> we will. We will see them, though. I've gotten actually communication so far from at least half a dozen people um, that were actually asking me specific questions, and a lot of people are really taking their time with this. We uh, also extended the contest, posted it over on the Watsi boards and on the uh, the World forums, and we've gotten some really good positive response. So we're going to see them.
7: Eric. All right, positivity. Way to go! I, I know Ooh. of one. I, I got uh, word earlier today that somebody I know has sent in an entry or is sending one in. Beautiful. All right.
3: Awesome. You are not eligible to win.
7: Ah! Kind of defeat the purpose of sending it to you. You know, that yeah. postage fee. I know. Yeah, this, just this, win it, have you send it back. Yeah, yeah. You're, now what, you're, you're a what postal what masochist.
6: If, <laughs> what if my fetus writes one? I mean... Jaina could win it, right?
7: Sure. Okay. Yeah. If if your fetus writes one, I think it automatically wins. Automatically <laughs> <I'm> wins.
3: <Yeah. laughs> I'm automatically submitting wins. One and, and then online. we're gonna we're gonna submit that to like TMZ and then you'll be in like some <laughs> magazine probably. And yes. I'll read well, it on the uh, on the like the rack when I'm checking out with my uh, noodles and cheese.
4: Yes, National Enquirer will be paying for the kids' college fund. Right, exactly. Fantastic. Very, very yep. nice. Well, listen, if you guys want to find out more details about this contest, you can head over to www.d20radio.com slash forum. Head over to the Order 66 boards, and you will find a nice little sticky thread with all your questions answered, hopefully, and if not, you can post there. Um, and if you guys want to take a look, of course, at the maps you're going to be designing this encounter around, you can head over where, Mr. West?
7: Um, oh, I don't know. Have I heard of this? Maybe uh, www.mapsofmastery.com. That's the one. That's the one.
3: All right. That's the one. Now we do this.
8: This is a Holonet News special entertainment segment. I'm Luke Lowbrow. Tonight, the 5,383rd Annual Awards Ceremony for the Academy of Hollow Motion Picture Arts and Sciences will be held tonight at the Coruscant Opera House. This year's ceremony will be hosted by Foynsenbead Anodu, the two-headed troig famous for announcing the Bunta Eve Classic Pod Race. Foynsenbead just finished a major book tour publicizing his autobiography entitled My Life in Stereo, the story of how fame can go to two heads much faster than one, and why won't this guy attached to my body shut up when we're trying to pick up chicks? Last month, Academy President Salacious Crumb announced at a press conference that this ceremony will feature 42 Best Picture nominees instead of the traditional five. When pressed by reporters for more details on this unprecedented expansion, Salation merely jumped into the rafters and cackled a mischievous laugh at the assembled press corps. For her work portraying an obese and emotionally abused teenage Sarlacc, actress-slash-musician Slice Noodles received her 16th nomination. This breaks the record for most nominations, which was previously held by Zero the Hutt, for his work playing such memorable characters as the fading but nevertheless attractive southern belle Blanche Dubois in the hollow film A Cloud Car Named Desire. These are some of the nominations for Best Picture. Inglorious Rancors is a holofilm set in Imperial occupied Dathomir about a group of wise guy Rancor infantry who are chosen specifically to spread fear throughout the Empire by scalping and eating stormtroopers. Jawa District 9 is about a Tusken Raider bureaucrat assigned to relocate a group of refugee Jawas, derogatorily referred to as Grubbies, from Jawa District 9, a military guarded slum in Mos Espa, to an internment camp outside the city. An Education It Is For You is a coming-of-age story set in the Old Republic era about a teenage Wookiee girl in suburban Coruscant and how her life changes with the arrival of a Yoda-like alien playboy nearly 40 times her age. The highest grossing holofilm of all time is Wicketar which is a film about a group of humans constructing a massive shield generator on a lush moon called Endor. The expansion of the construction operations threatens the continued existence of a local tribe of Ewoks, a sentient species indigenous to Endor. The film's title, Wikitar, refers to the genetically engineered Ewok and human hybrid bodies used by several human characters to interact with the natives of Endor. This has been a Holonet News Entertainment Update. I'm
7: Luke Lobrow. <laughs> uh, hey! Oh, I love Sorry. Luke Lobrow. That's awesome stuff. I
4: miss that.
3: <laughs> I know. I'm. I'm. I'm really surprised they didn't mention anything about uh, Cody being captured last week. Oh, I know. What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. They got a uh, some kind of really weird code thing out to us. Yeah. Well, I got some theories about that.
7: Do you? Hey. Yeah, I I don't think uh, Cody has ever truly let his loyalties sway from the empire.
3: Oh, do you now? Just a theory. I don't know. I didn't get anything this week, so I'm just uh...
6: I did.
3: Yeah, I figured you might have.
6: <laughs> yeah, Cody Cody still sends me stuff sometimes. Actually, I thought How he didn't.
3: Inc- I thought present? he was incarcerated, He's in yeah.
6: Well, I can't divulge that information to you right now maybe one day
7: yeah uh, speaking of uh, things like that by the way tg i, I got word back from my contacts at uh, uh the the you know the lucasfilm company and the the my friend george says he'll get that sample to you right away
6: <laughs> all right thanks i appreciate that don't ask don't i'm not going to answer your questions
4: Fine.
3: Hey, hey, when did the Navy turn from don't ask, don't tell to if you do say we don't care, but you're going to get the crap beat out of you?
4: <laughs> the, Navy's al- <laughs> the Navy's always been that way.
6: Yes.
3: I, yes. I, I
4: don't know when that happened. but I don't know. So, so did you get a postcard from Cody or not?
6: I did. I did get a postcard from him. Um, and the picture on the postcard, it's of a solid blue world, obviously covered in ocean. Well, not obviously in this... Uh, galaxy Uh, there's no land masses on it to speak of and the wording on the postcard reads the freeholders welcome you to aquarius good luck finding us
3: from across the galaxy it's time for postcards from commander cody
2: I'm Dave and TG. Things have happened so fast, oh, I don't know where to begin. I must first thank you for putting out your broadcast of my message and the location encryption message that came afterwards. It always amazes me the friends you never knew you had in the galaxy. My and imprisonment on Omwati, as I'm sure you saw, became quite the public spectacle. I was forced to endure torture and interrogation for nearly two weeks. I've never experienced pain like that before. I'll tell the Imperial scum nothing. Eventually, though the public outcry for my trial and execution was so great, the driver was eventually transferred and loaded onto a secret transport destined for Imperial Center. That's when things got strange. The transport that picked me up was crewed by a squad of commando stormtroopers who put me in a man-trap and then entered hyperspace. But something went wrong. I felt this drop out of hyperspace. From the overheard conversations I was privy to, the hyperdrive suffered a strange malfunction. The captain suspected sabotage, and <laughs> he was right. I was subsequently rescued by a small flotilla of pirate vessels that managed to overpower and disable the ship, and deal with the crew. I've never been so happy to see another face, even one as ugly as that, with eye patch and all. At first, the brigands who took the ship were so rough, clearly criminal, that I was worried I'd just been stolen only to be ransom back. I recognised the group, the Freeholders cadre of the worst kind of pirates and smugglers. But they welcomed me to freedom with open arms, and I'll soon learn that the Freeholders joined the Rebel Alliance not too long ago. I've been taken to the Freeholder base on the planet of Aquarius for recovery. Aquaris is an ocean world completely covered in water. The Freeholder compound is at the bottom of the ocean, an expansive base sealed from the waves and hidden from any planetary scans. A strange retractable landing platform rose from the waves to meet our ship and then plummeted down many leagues for safety. Things are interesting here, but a bit cold. The freeholders have quite an operation, almost completely self-sustaining. Gaining power from geothermal vents, the large population here sends submersible craft out to hunt marine wildlife for food, and desalinators give us all the fresh water we need. It's not bad. Not bad at all. I'm healing well and I've already been informed that I'm soon to be transferred to a different location to head up the building of a new Alliance base. I, uh, I really can't say too much more. But I'm free, Jebs. Free, breathing, and I'll thank you for it. Hey, if you're ever in the expansion regions, need to unload some smuggled goods, or you have a penchant for hunting demon squid, <laughs> head to Aquarius. If the freeloaders decide to talk to you, you should have a pretty good time. Later, guys. Long live the rebellion. Your secret correspondent, Commander Cody.
3: I still worry about Cody uh, disclosing where he's going, and now you know. Now the freeholder compound is fair game.
7: Ah, uh, that tool. God, it seems like wherever he goes, he leaves destruction in his wake. In his wake.
6: But he escapes because he's Cody, and he's just that good.
3: He is that good.
6: Mm. And many things. <laughs>
3: Yep.
7: Mm. Oh, boy. Here we go. Here we go. Sounds like you're eating something very good over there.
2: <laughs> D20 docking bay, hosers. When it don't be making sense, we be making sense of it.
3: Yeah, TG. Uh, to those in the chat room, TG apparently took a course in ebonics, and she did say "escape."
4: <laughs> she, she did say "escape." <laughs> yeah, yeah, we
3: were gonna ax her about that.
4: We, we, we were. And I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go ahead and push this podcast into the M territory since Dave already, 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 you know, drove the car to that ledge. I'm just gonna push it over and say, Chris, in regards to your earlier comment, I don't want to know anything about what you know you know you, you probably don't want to know anything about what is being eaten over here so
7: oh. that's, that's true
4: I'm just, just i'm just gonna say that just Th- say that it. was just
7: me walking all over dave's segment intro
4: yes yes but but it was still humorous
7: oh, all right. it happened okay
3: so <laughs> these guys magnitude 77 has a question magnitude 77 by the way um thank you very much that's leonard rubin by the way recognized off the top of the show as a new d20 ah. radio contributor
4: Yay. So Yay! Thanks, Meg!
3: We thank you, sir. The dice are in the mail. Actually, the dice are just about in the mail. That's another exciting thing. And so he's got a question about uh, dealing with allies. So he says, hey guys, a lot of talents and feats say things like, you and your allies do this, or you, your allies get such and such a bonus. My general question is, what exactly constitutes an ally? Obviously the other PCs are allies, and droids can't be affected by things that are mind-affecting. But beyond that, what about less clear-cut allies, such as your followers, the followers are other PCs, a crime lord's minions, droids that you've bought, neutral characters such as civilians that happen to be walking by? So what say you?
4: Mm. I I think this is a good question, Uh, and the books are decidedly vague on this mag. I happen to think that's rather appropriate since I happen to think it's up to the GM to determine who your allies are.
0: <laughs> but at
4: the same time, I think, I don't know, guys. What do you think? I think you might be reading a little too much into it. I, I think I think your allies are just that. They're your allies. There are other characters who are allied with you. Characters, followers, droids, NPCs that will actively work with you during an encounter and will not seek to harm you.
7: That's it. Yeah. End of story. Anyone fighting on your side. Yeah. Pretty that's much. pretty much it. Good version So
6: then neutral players pretty much neutral NPCs kind of out of the question.
4: Yeah, well, you know what? I mean, I, I, but as a GM, I would adjud- I would adjudicate it appropriately. Like, for example, if if let's say uh, the party sees a whole group of stormtroopers beating up on a mother and a small child and they rush in to help them um, and the noble activates some ability to give the mother and a small child a boost to their reflex defense so they'll be safe, but that, that ability only affects allies, I would certainly allow that to affect them even though technically they're not going to pick up arms to fight with you they're going to be very neutral and probably run the heck away yeah um
7: although they you know, might right, pick the, up those wishy-washy people standing on the sidelines they don't get any help that's they don't
4: just... right they don't get it but Na- you know
7: zip nada okay
4: but i mean does that does that make sense guys i mean Agreed. tg does that make sense to you dave yes Chris? yeah After yeah wizard. oh yeah
3: 100 percent. okay major domo big, nice. big time totally
4: totally well do you, would either you or TG like to hit us up with the next question?
3: Completely. Absolutely. <laughs>
5: Alright, so Edhart
3: 1963 wants to know of what use of what use is the intelligence rating on a portable computer or data pad? I can't seem to locate any rules for referencing this subject. That's a good question.
4: Well, that's because the rules are buried. Um It is a good question, Ed. Uh, Every computer or piece of intelligent electronics in Star Wars is given an intelligence rating. So, wow, what's that used for? Two things. Um, A computer's intelligence modifier has two very important game uses, and they are both listed on page 134 of your core rulebook, sir, buried in the equipment chapter. Um, Look at the two bullets under Computer and Storage Devices. Um, Now, As is related there, um, the two in-game uses for an intelligence modifier on a computer are one – It determines the computer's will defense, which is very important when you're trying to slice the computer. That is 10 plus intelligence modifier, Um, obviously. Um, Two, a computer that has a friendly attitude towards you actually adds its own intelligence bonus to your used computer checks that you make with it. Uh, Basically, the intelligence of the computer represents how badass of a system it is, and a slicer with a really badass computer is going to gain the benefit of it if it's friendly to them, you know. Um, and obviously, it's also harder to slice into a badass computer. So that's really that's what makes them money. badass. That's what makes them badass. Does, does that make sense? From a does to me? Does to you,
7: TG? Yeah.
6: Yeah? yeah, that makes
4: sense. It it does. It, it makes sense. So that that would be the answer. So there we cool. go. Well, TG, why don't you hit us up with the next question we got?
6: Darth Wovian emailed us a question about everyone's favorite stripped tentacle heads, the Tegruda. Ah. Uh. Stripped, not stripped, striped.
7: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, this really is rated M for maturity. Yeah. Well, uh,
6: you know, it's me. Where's my head going to go? <laughs> I see striped, I think stripped. It's just the way it works in this head. <laughs> So he asks uh, about Tagruda's special awareness. Is it as cool as I think it is? If I have an assassin hiding in a dark room in a sealed crate within six squares of the Tagruda, the difficulty of the check to notice him is only five?
4: Well, um, let's take a look at the Togruta, Uh, which for those of you who may be confused, uh, Jedi Master Shakti is a Togruta. Um, the official stats are on pages 17 and 18 of the Force Unleashed Campaign Guide. Um, uh, and the Togruta possesses a special ability called Spatial Awareness, which is kind of this um, passive echolocation. Let's them ignore all cover and concealment when making perception checks to notice targets within 10 squares. So yes, Wovian, it is as cool as you think it is. Bottom line, you ignore concealment and cover penalties for perception checks within 10 squares. Period. So nobody can really hide from you within ten squares, as long as you're reasonably well trained, you roll okay, and you aren't down the condition track, you'll be just fine. Um, yeah.
7: I, I'd like to add here that uh, if you're familiar with Internet Rule Number Thirty Four, don't ever use that as applied to Ahsoka Tano, or you'll get way more Togruta than you ever want to see.
4: <laughs> this is this is this is very true. For those who are not familiar with Internet Tg, are you familiar with Internet Rule Number Thirty Four?
6: No. I'm not familiar with it. Please. Lay,
4: lay it on us, Ed- Mr.
7: West. Uh, I'd rather not. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Google it, folks. Google it.
7: Um, or don't, if you want to spare your own sanity.
4: <laughs> Interestingly enough, though, a lot of people have, have made hoopla over this. Um and you know, this is pretty much identical to the scent ability of the Ewoks, which is right I was
6: out. Of, about to ask that.
4: Yeah, it's right which is right out of the core rulebook. And and several other species have it kind of the same way. It's and it's just as Uber. So the lesson here assassins going after Tagruda had best get themselves a sniper rifle. That's
3: pretty what much. I would say.
4: Pretty much it. Yop. Yup. 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 So do we have a last question? Yeah, I guess we do. Yeah. We do. Yeah.
6: Jedi Mike TCA. I wonder what TCA stands for. Distraction. TCA Jedi Mike says, Hey, I'm wondering how bracing would work with a smaller weapon. For example, I have a soldier that uses a heavy blaster rifle, and I'm considering miniaturizing it and dual wielding them.
5: (laughs) But
6: can I still brace it to reduce the auto fire penalty? If I have the feet of the that allows me to brace a non auto fire only weapon. Also, would a full round attack with burst fire from both be possible? Does burst fire follow the auto fire rule of half damage on a miss? He is major min maxer,
7: isn't he?
4: Yes he oh, is. Oh yes.
7: <laughs> wow. I hope my players don't listen to this one.
4: <laughs> well, it, it won't be too bad if they do um because listen mike t- to answer your question first off uh, you have several bracing works as it does okay regardless of the weapon's size okay so the bracing rules page 156 of the core rulebook specify that uh, only specify that only an auto fire only weapon can be braced now how can you brace
6: with only one hand though
4: well, you can. Wouldn't
6: you sh- need both hands to brace your weapon unless you're setting it on a flat surface?
4: You know, you know what, TG, as a GM, I think that's a reasonable call to make. But in terms of the pure rules, it's not required. Um, you know, you could maybe jam it against your chest or something like that. But you know, I'm I'm I tend to think in line with you. But if we're going to stick with a, a raw interpretation, it doesn't say you need both hands. Um, the only thing it really says is that it has to be an auto fire only weapon. And to point to that. Um, I mean, listen, th- Listen. the only auto-fire weapons that are in the core rulebook are pretty big. But yeah, you can have a miniaturized or a smaller auto-fire-only weapon as normal. And there are little bitty auto-fire-only weapons. Like, there's the sub-repeating blaster, uh, which is this auto-fire-only pistol right out of Scum and Villainy, uh, page 49. And, you know, like an Uzi, for example. You don't really need to brace an Uzi. It's just, you know, you can hold it in one hand. You know, so, eh. But I still see where you're coming from. Um, it is a bit munchkinny. Um, now... TCA Jedi Mike he, he mentions a, you mentioned a special feat that lets you brace non-auto fire only weapons. I, I am only aware of one such feat and that's the rifle master feat from page 25 of Galaxy at War. but all rifle monster lets you do is brace carbines. That is it. So you I mean it's not just a non-auto fire weapon. it's carbines only. Um, so Chris, I wouldn't worry about your players being broken with that too much, especially when you consider the last <laughs> part of his <laughs> when you consider the last part of his question. Half damage on a miss is not a feature of auto-fire, Mike. It is a feature of an area attack, any area attack, from a grenade to force slam. So when you burst fire, it is not an area attack, and the target takes zero damage on a miss, all right? And you still suffer that minus five penalty for burst firing or... Wait, wait. You know, mm-hmm?
6: Burst fire or auto-fire?
4: Well, they're different. Auto-fire is an area attack. It you know targets a two-by-two two area. Um, burst fire is a feat you can take where instead of targeting that area, you can pump all your slugs into a target instead. I see. And as a result, you deal an extra two die of damage. Right. Um, So, it's pretty powerful, but you can only use it with um, excuse me, you can uh, uh, forgive me, you can only brace with auto fire only weapons. Bracing is something you can do when you're either burst firing or auto firing to reduce that minus five penalty to a minus two. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. And the end of his question, he wants to know, can I dual wield some of these mini, you know, big guns? Well, yes, you can. And you can burst fire with them, you know, using dual weapon mastery or double attack. You can also auto fire doing an area attack, for that matter, in the same fashion. However, you cannot brace either one of them if you do this because bracing requires two swift actions, which you do not have because you are taking a full round action to make more than one attack.
7: Very important distinction there. Straightly. Yeah.
4: Extremely important distinction. Not to mention, you're going to suffer all the penalties for dual, for for firing more than once. You know, I mean, if you spec your build right and you're doing dual weapons, you could at higher levels get it down to where there's no penalty. But if you're using double attack or just, you know, dual weapon mastery one, you're going to be looking at like a a minus five penalty to each attack roll just for dual wielding um, or double attacking. And then you throw in another minus five for using your burst fire auto fire which you can't brace because you, obviously you're attacking more than once, that's a minus 10 to each attack. That's pretty harsh. Nice. Yeah.
6: Okay, so all said and done, what can he have? So if he has a weapon and he turns it, he miniaturizes it, so he's got a heavy blaster rifle that he miniaturizes.
4: Well, first of all, he can't, he can't brace a heavy blaster rifle anyway, even miniaturized, because there's no feat that allows you to do that.
6: Okay, because it's not an autofire only
4: correct and it's you can
6: still miniaturize it and then double, and then dual wield it
4: absolutely and he could do and because burst he doesn't fire, have to
6: brace he can
4: he can do burst fire with with both hands and he'll be at a cumulative you know obviously a minus 5 for the burst fire and then potential minus is more depending on how he's dual wielding you know okay. any, anywhere yeah. from a minus 5 to a minus 2 to you know right. a minus 0 if he gets spec high enough so got but. it that's that's a long way coming
3: yeah so. just don't do it
4: yeah, yeah, just don't do it. Quite frankly, you're going to get a lot more use, Mike, if you just stick with a very, very, very big gun and blast away with it. That's what we call the BFG. BFG. Ask, ask uh, you know, Jake in our group, big gun wielder. Guy loves his big guns. I mean, with burst fire, he was, throw, he was blown away with, like, you know, 5D10, 5D12. Can't go wrong with that. Yep. Just just can't. Yep. Okay.
2: Come to order.
6: Chancellor, request a motion to suspend the rules.
5: You're
4: so gonna suspend the rules the shut sh- up, Motion sh-
3: oh, granted. So you can really tell the Academy Awards are on. <laughs> we've only got fifty-four people in chat.
4: I know, and Breb's not in. He's like, oh!
7: Uh, oh, oh wait, the Oscars are tonight. Hold, I, I'll talk to you guys later.
4: Yeah, fine.
5: Bye. <laughs> oh,
7: we don't care.
3: <laughs> Alright, so uh, this is spinning the Rules segment we call I Second That Wind Part 2.
4: Ah, yes. Okay,
3: so we've had some folks make uh, house rules for second wind mechanics. And so we have another one here that has come from Professor G. Who writes this? I was listening to 89, where a house rule was discussed for allowing an additional second wind for a character, and I just wanted to put a house rule up there that my friends and I have been using. Most of this was inspired by Jedi Counseling number 114. Here's the logic, because you never know when a stormtrooper might crit. Word. Yep. Our house rule is that we allow more than the allotted raw second winds per character. However... For every second win they take after their allotted second win, they take a step down the condition track. It's a persistent condition that persists until the player is allowed rest for eight consecutive hours. Our original rule also included a surgery option to remove the persistent condition, but we just kept it at the eight hour rest. Mm. So, mm. yeah.
4: Dude, I like it. I, I think it's a good way to handle healing in a party without vital transfer, especially a party that gets into a lot of combat. And I think yeah. the, uh, dude, I think the persistent condition is a nasty penalty. That and it's is rough. It's but it's excellent balance to that extra healing. Yeah, I would agree. Um Yeah, I like it. Oh dude. However, darn it, I, I do like the surgery. I would still allow for surgery, Prof. G. Um, because surgery to remove a persistent condition is a core use of the treat injury skill. Um, to remove any persistent condition. All right, that's I'll just be. that's just a core use of the treat injury skill.
6: See, I, I don't know. You have to have the right group to implement this. If you if you're a kind of GM that puts them in a lot of battles and there's a lot of damage rolls, then yeah. But if it's uh-huh. if it's honestly if it's like one of yours, GM Chris, one of your sessions or one of GM Breath's sessions, no. I don't think we would need it.
4: No, me.
5: Yeah. Because
6: it's more role playing. There's there's battles, but it's. I don't think we. You need You guys it.
4: always have adequate rest, but if you if you're in a war campaign, like Dave, you're talking about wanting to run a war campaign, okay? If if you're in a war campaign where you're in battle after battle after battle, if yeah. you're if you're if, you're, if you're, a, you're a GM who throws the kitchen sink at the players, it's not a bad house rule, and it comes with a stiff penalty. Yeah, it's not bad.
6: It's a rough penalty. Like I have a hard time swallowing that.
4: Uh, that's why I that's why I like it. It's, to, to me a good I mean and Chris I'd like to hear your thoughts on this too but to me a good house rule is a house rule that does not make me make me immediately say, "Oh yeah, I'll do that."
7: Oh yeah. Uh, uh, oh, the yeah. only thing I'm worried about with this one is that I can kind of see some uh, groups taking advantage of it like, "Okay, yeah, I'll, we'll get through this fight, you know, keep uh, dropping down the condition track and we'll just, you know, have the droid surgically remove our penalty after the fight."
4: Yeah. Well, okay. I, I would still do this, though, it, even with this house rule. Right now, even if a character has multiple second wins, okay, through the extra second wind feat or the toughest nails talent, you still cannot take more than one second wind and encounter. Mm. Okay. Yeah, that's true. I would keep that. I would, I mean, I would hope that if you're going to use this house rule, you would keep that in place. So, I mean, but it's, and if, that, so if that's the case, this is really only a good house rule if you're going to have multiple combats in a day. You know what I mean?
7: Right. Yeah.
4: But, so, but yeah, because I, I feel you, dude. I feel you. I'm right, I'm right there with you. So, cool. Yeah. Good suggestion, Prof G. Thank you. If any of you guys have some suggestions for house rules you would like to get up on the podcast, head over to d20radio.com forum. Head to the Order 66 boards. You can find the thread for suspending the rules. And also, if you guys have any questions for the docking bay, you will also find a thread there. Post them up or email us as well. Where can they email us, Dave? Jim Dave, d20radio.com. Jim Chris, D20 radio.com.
3: Tweet like goodness.
4: D20 radio.com. How about I'm that?
6: awake. You yelled my name. I'm awake. <laughs> How about
4: that? <laughs> you guys are also welcome to call us 206 600 5872. Lusa. The Lusa of
3: Yep. So there you are. And you know what? While, while we're on the subject and while it's in my mind, I always forget we have a Wikipedia page. Did we you do? know? Did you know that? <laughs> I know.
8: Who started that?
3: Um, (laughs) I, I, I honestly I don't remember, and I should give credit where credit is due, but I don't remember who put it up there. And, but it is there. It is a D twenty. It is not a D twenty. It's an Order sixty six podcast Wikipedia page. Yeah, Rex Remus is in there in the chat room saying it's a heck of a page. It's got everything in there. All our episodes are everything.
4: Really? Episode rundown. That would be very
3: useful. So yeah. You guys check it out on Wikipedia. Go search Wikipedia order sixty six. It's there. I, I Dude, keep I'm, I keep meaning to mention it and I and I haven't. And so it's got
4: Wow, got, I'm there uh, right now. That's fantastic. How it's about e- that? How about en.wikipedia.org slash wiki slash order underscore sixty six underscore bar. Fiddle
3: back, just put it in the chat room for all you guys. That's so, fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Now follow us on Twitter. You can still follow us on Twitter. I'm I'm Twitter GM Dave. And I am and,
4: uh, I'm GM Chris. Yep.
3: And
7: Now, does does this new page uh, render what was it? Cat's work on the D20 Radio Order 66 index? Uh, I don't know if it's it, it, it outdated. It does,
4: it does not. However, I oh, think a, a conglomeration of the two might not be a bad idea. Yeah. Because uh, I'm looking at it right now, and they've got, they've got, they list every guest we've ever had up through episode. Well, I think it's episode 95 is the last time it was updated. Um, And, you know, what episodes they've been on and our awards and recognitions and episode links and descriptions. And wow! Kudos to whoever did this. It's pretty slick. That is slick. Yep. All right. And so now,
3: something we never mention, and we have a sterling record on iTunes. I, I don't, don't believe we've had a The Sterling more. Hershey record? No, not quite. Yeah, that's, that's, better,
4: that's better than a Sterling record. Yeah. That's just a Sterling Hershey record. We have
3: a great, we have a fantastic record on iTunes for reviews. We've never asked for reviews on this show, but they come. And so now, because we've fallen off the first page, and it, a lot of that is based on you, you know, listener reviews and all that stuff, if I could simply ask for a favor. If you guys would go and review the Order 66 podcast, give us a nice five-star, if you so desire. We have just about all five stars. I think we have one that's not a five-star, and it was a four. Mm. So, yeah, if you guys are in your iTunes, and, and next time you come and pull down, the, we would really appreciate it if you guys would do that. That would be great. So,
4: that would be great. Yeah, so now that's on the show entirely. By the way, Sterling Hershey's in the chat room, and he says, well, you have a Sterling record on iTunes because you have Sterling recorded on iTunes. Oh! <laughs> 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 very nice.
3: Yep. <clears throat> so that being said, thank you very much, and we will get on with the show. And we'll take a break now for Alex and Trevor, Fragments from the Rim. We'll be well, I this. you after
7: this.
0: Welcome, Jedi Masters, to Fragments
7: from the
8: Rim. How may we be of service
7: to you today?
1: Hi, this is Alex and Trevor. This is segment number 44 of Fragments from the Rim. For this segment, I've chosen to talk about getting injured. In combat, if you lose hit points, there's a good chance you're gonna, you might lose some, some condition track steps as well. And if you've gone down the condition track, there's a really good chance you've lost some hit points. But to recover from that, you can only do one at a time unless you use the talent tested in battle, which is a veteran talent, which you will find for the soldier on page 22 of Galaxy at War. It says, when you catch a second wind, you move plus two steps on the condition track in addition to gaining head points. But that's not the only option. On page 23, there's a feat entitled Fortifying Recovery does have a prerequisite of a Constitution 13, and you're gonna want a high Constitution for this one. When you take the Recover action, you also gain a number of bonus hit points equal to two times your Constitution bonus, minimum two. Damage is subtracted from the bonus hit points first, and any bonus hit points remaining at the end of the encounter are lost. Bonus hit points do not stack. Both of those are rather useful, help your character bounce back just a little bit faster and save you a couple of actions in combat. Over to you Trevor.
0: Today I'm going to talk to you about the exceptional skill talent from the superior skills talent tree for nobles from page 21 of Galaxy of Intrigue. What it says is when you select this talent choose one skill. Whenever you roll a skill check with that skill a result of two to seven is always treated as though you had rolled an eight. You can select this talent multiple times and each time it has to be for a different skill. The only prerequisite is that you are trained in this skill. I want to talk about this talent today because in one of my Dawn of Defiance campaigns, Alex Van D is actually for the first time ever playing Star Wars. That's right. Ever. He has been nothing but a games master for every version of the game and for every session of the game he's ever been in. So finally, uh, he's now sitting on the other side of the table playing Star Wars, and of course, you gotta let him play a Jedi. Uh, it's just, you're gonna play Star Wars, get the Jedi, and, and get it out of your system. Anyways, so he's playing a Jedi, and he, he took a dip into Noble in order to get this specific talent because that means that on his use the force skill unless he rolls a one he always rolls a minimum of eight and given the fact that he's at this point an eighth level character and all the other bells and whistles that go along with that he, he pretty much guarantees that every time he uses any application of the force he gets above a 20 or above a 25 so Um, by making it so that between a 2 and a 7 becomes an 8 he's pretty much guaranteed that he maxes out most of his his powers and that's an excellent use of this skill I think that that's Possibly the, the, the most tactic version of the skill, but I, I'm not saying it's, it's, it's shouldn't be allowed. It's just obviously well tweaked. So that's just an example of how this one skill can make a huge impact in how a character is played or utilized. Anyways, if you have any questions or comments, please uh, send Alex or I an email at order66 underscore fragments at rogers.com. And until next time, have fun gaming. Thank you,
4: Masters, for visiting
0: Fragments from the Rim.
4: Nice.
3: So, all right. So during during that fragments from the rim, I got to say that I was the guy that made the final donation to put the E-20 project over the top. Congratulations. How about that?
4: I'm hearing some echo. Who's got their chat unmuted? I don't know.
3: I have no idea. Hmm. Don't think it's me.
5: Very
4: very odd. Not me. Very odd. Yes, yes, it looks like... uh, Gary Sarley's E20 system, uh, and obviously, I know we've talked about this before, and it's been mentioned in other podcasts. But um, basically, with the with the cancellation of, of Saga, Gary, I think it was kind of the linchpin, or among other things, for Gary Sarley, one of the one of the primary developers on the on the core rulebook, to basically say, you know what, let's create a generic Saga sort of system. <laughs> as, as he explained to me really well. He said, "I've got this whole list of house rules," and I said to myself, "Darn it, why can't I just take these and you know." Into the system and make something new, and um, uh, he was working on a patronage model to raise. Uh, I think was it was it what was it Dave ten thousand dollars?
3: Yep, yep.
4: Um, to to get to get the system off the ground, and it looks like obviously he just made it. So very cool, fantastic, dude! That's exciting. Ah, oh. marvelous, yeah.
3: marvelous, simply Mar-
4: marvelous, simply marvelous. Well, speaking of simply marvelous. Mr. West.
7: <laughs> Me? What do I have to do with Simply Marvelous?
4: Something <laughs> uh, Marvelous. Uh, I
7: think you're the, confused, <laughs> sir.
4: The Order 66 podcast is proud to welcome back uh, map designer extraordinaire, Saga GM, and uh, 14th level Cartomancer, uh, Mr. Chris West. Um, <laughs> Thanks, uh, Chris. Of course, of course. Um, uh, so Chris has agreed to join us today to discuss something we get asked about a lot. Um, both via email and forum discussion, uh, something many GMs and players sadly do take for granted. Maps. Um, how, how, how do you best use an encounter map? How do you best create one? How do you how do you best represent one for your players? And we will be delving into these things and more on this episode, as the master of maps himself will hopefully give us some of his wisdom. A small a small glimmer of nugget wisdomness. Yeah, stuff with that. Yeah.
7: <laughs> well, I'll see what I can do.
4: <laughs> well, okay, Chris. Um, as crazy as it sounds, some of our listeners might not actually have heard of you, um, or ha- or have no idea what your resume is like. So, talk to us about yourself, man. What what maps have you worked on in the past, and for for what companies? Remind us.
7: Oh well, uh, let's see. Uh, I made a list here because I wasn't going to be able to think of them all on the fly. Uh, I've worked for Wizards of the Coast, Paizo, AEG, the Game Mechanics. Uh, and Green Ronin, as well as a couple of other uh, smaller ones. More recently, I've done some work for uh, Privateer Press, and uh, a couple others that I can't talk about yet.
4: <laughs> gotcha. Yep. <laughs> Duly noted. So you're a hack, basically. You you know you do this in your spare time. You have no real talent. You're um...
7: precisely, yeah. Okay. You're cottoning on very quickly, sir.
4: Yes, very yes.
7: <laughs> we will have to have you removed. I'm a GM and my name is Chris, so I will take over GM Chris's spot from here on out. That, <laughs> cool. I think TG would actually be happy with that arrangement.
6: Somebody who likes maps as much as me. Heck yeah. Wow.
4: This is going into bad territory here. <laughs>
6: <laughs> that's what I do. That's my thing.
4: Oh, okay. Indeed. Yeah. Yes. And you currently, of course, sir, you do sell your own maps currently. Yeah. Um, yeah, at your, at right. your own website, which you mentioned earlier, mapsofmastery.com.
7: Yeah. When uh, work ran out from Wizards of the Coast and the, the Star Wars license was tapering off, I decided I had to make money somewhere. So I uh, uh, took the lead from uh, some other individuals that have made maps and sold them successfully to the Star Wars miniatures community and decided to you know, try and do some of my own that way.
4: Nice. Fantastic. So far, so good. Well, let's congeal some of that, that experience and knowledge if we can into uh, audio format. <laughs> and
7: uh, let's. Sounds kind of messy.
4: It, it, it is, it, and it will be, um, but you'll, you'll see. <laughs> <laughs> so get your paper towels handy. Um, Let's talk about some key features of map design. Uh, let, let's let's move this this discussion into into some full map design here. So, okay, after a GM has created an encounter and they've they've planned out the threats and the the general design, they usually move on then to design the encounter map. And and this is frankly where where I find many GMs fall short of expectations. Um, I, I mean, I've seen crappy maps turn um, a, a good encounter into something that sucks. And I've seen great maps um, uh, turn a ho hum encounter into a fun and impressive one with loads of combat options and creative ideas. TG, do you remember our, our last game with Brev, um, mm-hmm. where we started off the session where it was an encounter? It was us versus three Gundarks. hmm huh. And and that was it. No special, nothing. No, you know, it was crazy. That was it. Us, three Gundarks. That was the threat. However, he used one of your maps oh um, yeah, okay uh know. and and it, to to do the encounter on and I believe it was the it was a
6: hangar bay
4: yeah it was it was the station this the with with like the 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 the, the railway track in it
7: okay the off world shipping center yes the
4: off world shipping center map yes um, ah
7: that's a favorite of mine
4: it was a great map and it made the encounter because instantaneously all of a sudden boom we had so many options um and it was it was it was great. So we've seen firsthand what this can do. So, so talk to us about this, man. Talk to us about some of the elements of creativity and design. Things people should be including in or on their maps, if possible. Things that folks maybe sometimes forget about, or that make a map better for the encounter.
7: Um. Well, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say that map that Brev just used in your game was actually mm-hmm. the first one I used when I kicked off my Saga Edition game. So that's got <laughs> a. Uh, a close, uh, warm, wet place in my heart. I, I'm fond of that one. But uh, I, I'm really excited to hear that he was using that with you guys. So, oh, yeah, that's very cool. Uh, as for what makes a good map, um, if I knew the answer to that, I would package it and sell it. Oh, wait. Sorry. I'm already doing that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I do my best, actually. But um, the the things that you've covered in the past in uh, – uh, what was it? Episode 37, The List – yeah, I got the num- I got the number right. Yeah, you did. Yes. Okay, you you covered a lot of good ground in that one. That uh, are you about I, to say think...
3: that uh, thirty seven completely inspired you to your map making greatness?
7: Oh, not only that. I mean, it, it inspired me as a person to become <laughs> an excellent grown up, uh, contributing member of society.
4: <laughs> I like this guy.
2: I like this guy. He needs to come out more often. dude
6: i have Uh, to live with that big head that you're making
7: and that's (laughs) That's, why we work to make it so big and that's Uh, what she said (laughs) (laughs) oh my goodness
6: dear see now Uh, you're the one that's turning this bad not me (laughs) i'm gonna blame it on you
7: (laughs) fine me that's what she does
6: yeah it's how i work
7: i'm an innocent bystander let's ba- blame it on dave
3: oh so you're neutral
6: okay done
3: all
7: right
6: blame it on dave
7: <laughs> <laughs> um now but, that no, now seriously. that Dave's
6: taking the yeah now that he's taking all the blame we can actually talk about the actual yeah. topic at hand right <laughs>
7: um, yeah that, that episode um i've listened to it a couple of times and it's really a great useful episode so um, you guys have plugged me on your show plenty, so I, I need to plug you guys on your own show. Everybody go re-listen to that episode. That is a great list. Um, and you've already covered you know a lot of the, the stuff that I think would make a great map. you got uh, cover and uh, concealment, things like that. Um, these are things that you can put on any map to improve it. Uh, but a lot of people don't, especially with things like concealment. Even I haven't done enough with that, and I'd like to do more with you know, clouds of smoke and uh, uh. radiation, find some way to, to illustrate that right in the map. These are things that I've got planned to do in future maps and see how they come out. Um, but anything that you can come up with from your uh, episode 37, The List, you can find a way to work it into a map, uh. whether it's something you're sketching or if you're custom using. Uh, if you're trying to customize another map that you've gotten somewhere else, uh, there's a lot of ways you can do that. Um, A lot of the galaxy tiles that Wizards published, Uh um, they match up with all the other maps I've done for them, just, you know, uh, like they were made to go together. Imagine that. (laughs) (laughs) uh, That's a handy way to add some elements if you're missing something.
4: Okay. Well, I I guess... um... My, my next question, in, in, in that vein, when we talk about, okay, so one of the big things for me uh, is is cover. I mean, obviously, it's it's one of the things that we had first on a, on on episode thirty seven the list. Mm-hmm. How much cover is too much cover, and how, how do you how do you find when you're when you're building things and when you're creating maps is is a best way to represent it?
7: Um. Well. As with most things, I would say that variety is the real spice of life. Um, if you always have tons of cover on all your maps, um, abilities that create it, like some of the newer classes, have abilities that actually let you create and modify cover. Yeah, yeah. They're wasted if there's too much cover. But it's generally better to err on the side of more cover, in my experience. <laughs> so, um, fair, fair enough. Uh, there. Everybody's got abilities that can take cover away. It's called, you know, high explosives and thermal detonators and force lightning and you know whatever you <laughs> want to use. You can destroy some cover if you really put your mind to it. But uh, very few abilities can put cover back into play. So,
6: so how do you how do you best represent cover? I mean, uh, just not to not to dog on Chris too much, but at the beginning of playing before we even started playing Saga. Um, back in old D&D days, it was a box of crates. And he, <laughs> he just brought the boxes on the mat. Yeah, the old standby, here's a box of crates. Or if we happen to be out in the field, here's the tree trunk of this tree. Here's a rock. Yeah, or a uh, rock.
3: Uh, so, I, I mean, I what, what yeah. do you
6: do? What do you do to best represent cover? And you were saying spice of life. And not only amount of cover, but I would imagine in types of cover as well.
7: Right. Oh, a lot of that depends on what kind of terrain your map is supposed to cover. Um, you know, crates are great, but if you're, you know, in the middle of nowhere, uh, explaining them could be a little difficult. Yeah, we trek across the, the, you know, the these vast desert sands and, you know, the sand people emerge from the sands and fight. And, oh, look, there's 30 cargo crates sitting here. It doesn't <laughs> really always work that well. Right. But usually, depending on the environment, you can come up with something that, you know, if it isn't even immediately obvious, will function as cover. You know, maybe there's sand dunes that, you know, you don't necessarily think of that as cover, but it's a tall thing that can stretch across your map that, uh, you know, can provide some uh, impediment to to movement and line of sight. Um, it, It really... It all depends where you are. If it's a natural place, look for rocks, uh, stalactites, stalagmites, uh, rock columns, uh, debris. Anywhere you go, you can find something that's just, you know, crashed and wrecked. And part of the allure of Star Wars for me is the way that it all feels lived in. You know, everything's grimy and dingy and it has this sort of real world sort of used, lived in sense that uh you know debris of any kind will help you add that into your game.
4: Like it? I like it a lot. Um very interesting. I know uh, one of the one of the things that came up you were recently on uh on Minnie's Mayhem uh with with us, uh, Sterling Hershey and uh, Gary Starley. Yeah, um, that was a good time. That that was it was a good time and I seem to recall something had had gotten mentioned regarding elevation. And as a as a map maker, uh, dude, how talk to me about elevation? How how do you feel about it, and and how do you feel it can best be represented on a map?
7: Um, I love it, but it's kind of a love hate relationship because it's a real challenge to put something like that into a map. Yeah. Because usually you've got this you know flat surface. It's two dimensional, and you're trying to make it look three dimensional. But you can't actually, you know, look around and underneath things on a printed map the way you can with a three dimensional model. And I know a lot of people who've, you know, put the extra time and effort to build three D terrain, and uh, you know that stuff is fantastic. And that that's a really great way to add uh, elevation. But on a two dimensional map, it's a bit trickier. Um, in that- fact, I'm I'm always when I'm working on a map, I have to be conscious of elevation at different points in the map and make sure that. Uh, For example, if you have stairs leading up to this one room, that there's not a flat hallway that leads around to the other room that doesn't have any, you know, greater ascension because you're just breaking, you know, the logic of the space. So you need to have – if you have stairs going up here, you have to have it going up at every access point or a ramp or some other way to change the elevation. And generally speaking, you can't really show what's under that. I've experimented with that in some D&D maps in the past, and it always comes out a little bit tricky. Um, If you happen to know your way around Photoshop or something like that, you can experiment with transparency layers where uh, certain objects are not printed at their full opacity so you can see what's underneath it Uh uh, in the artwork. But usually it's easy to overdo that kind of thing, so I don't do it a whole lot.
6: Now, that, that map that we were talking about, that Brev used, that you said had a soft, wet spot in your heart. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did uh, I say that? Oops. Yes.
7: <laughs> it was a very right. dry spot. Very dry.
6: Oh, okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> that one uses elevation very creatively because it's got the rail um, line through the middle of it, but it's sunken down. And the way you know that is because there's bridges. That go over right. the top of it. Seems like bridges are a great way.
7: Oh, absolutely. To
6: help show some elevation.
7: Yeah, it, it's a key way to let the characters get around. And frankly, as as a uh, malevolent DM, it's a great way to put player characters in a position where they can fall into pits.
6: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <Yep.
7: laughs> and that's the kind of thing that was on my mind when I drew those uh, in that map you're talking about. I put in... Uh, sort of a metal grating that's suspended over the uh, the pit by chains.
5: Uh-huh. And yeah. there's like
7: cargo on it. Um, that all came to mind because I thought it would be really cool in my games if, uh, you know, the players try to use this t- to cross over the pit and the bad guys, you know, ha- have remote control of the crane or some other way of influencing things, just to, you know, push things around. I love terrain that moves. And even if I can't always uh, do it as separate tiles that can be moved, I'm I'm thinking about it when I'm putting elements into a map. Uh, For example, on that same map, there's a big green starship parked out in the landing platform.
5: Mm -hmm.
7: Well, that map wasn't fully illustrated when I first used it in my debut Saga Edition campaign. And... I had a black and white printout of part of the the map finished, Uh, but a lot of it was hand drawn on top of that, just, you know, with a marker and so on. And that ship was printed out just on a plain white sheet of paper. Um, And I took a pair of scissors and I cut around the shape of that starship and laid that down on the, the, you know, plain white battle grid as, you know, a starship element that is there. And in my campaign, the, the players had to deal with a villain that was keeping Sulistan uh, uh, hostage in that ship. They had to, to save this guy. And during the course of that battle, that ship ended up, well, they tried to take off. So they got the engines fired up. It started to lift off. They crashed it. They brought it down. It slid around the battlefield. It, it crushed its way through a, uh, like an ATPT and various other things. Um, Players got pinned under it. At one point, the Jawas was up on top of the thing, um, and that's just because it was a separate piece laid down on there. Now, you guys use the printed map, which I, um, I'm, you know, I won't kid you. I'm very proud of that map, but because it's printed on there, adventures that use it probably aren't going to have that slide around.
4: Right. Well, yeah. you know, your your wonderful story about um, about movable cover and movable objects inspired. Gosh, our, one of our episodes, two or three episodes ago, which was our Create Expectations episode all about, you know. Yeah, thank
7: you very much for playing that, by the way. I was oh. honored that you turned that into a whole big segment there.
4: Well, dude, it, it, was, it, it was inspiring, you know. It's like, hey, this is something great to talk about.
7: Yeah, so. and, and uh, I apologize, Dave, for giving you the wall of text to deal with. <laughs> the wall of
3: text? What are you talking about?
4: You don't recall that? The giant wall of red text when we had Chris's uh, When Good Games Go Great segment that spawned off that story?
3: Yeah, that's right.
4: (laughs) I think he blocked it out of his mind.
3: Yeah, I did. It was was too traumatic to actually go back and discuss.
7: (laughs) Well, thank you for taking the time to read it all. That that was great.
3: (laughs) All right, so can we talk a little bit about Map Balance? Just sure. for a second, and and structure and balance, and and really creating a map that either does, or if your goal is to not give advantage to to uh, heroes or enemies. So talk to us a little bit about how you balance a map, and and what you can do to unbalance a map, and and some of the methods that you could use, such as you know excess cover on one side, or. Closed rooms or something along those lines. So what, uh, what are some of the things that people can do to make their maps unbalanced? Uh,
7: well, I find that the more accessible a map area is to one side or the other, the harder the encounter is going to become. Uh, if you've got a map where one faction that's, you know, participating in a battle on this map uh, has easy access to key points of the map uh, and the other team has a hard time just getting from A to B, then you've really swung the balance of that uh, battle in one direction. And honestly, I've had trouble with this in my own games, figuring out just how to adjust the challenge rating of things like this,
5: uh-huh. because
7: it's so situational. You, you can take a battle with just a couple of stormtroopers, uh, as you guys have dealt with in the past, and make it really challenging just by giving the players a hard time getting around. Um you have any tips on that GM Chris cuz I'd like to hear it I've <laughs> never been sure exactly how to ad hoc the challenge reading of, of Oh on on C-, based C on
4: CL adjustment
7: Um Yeah oh,
4: dude listen I nobody likes this answer and I I've given it to more than one person uh the the answer being <clears throat> uh eyeball it after the encounter's over <laughs> Um and I'm serious nobody likes that answer nobody likes it Um but That's every- what I do
7: honestly As- I, it's just
4: but, but everyone everyone gets peeved when they, because they want, they want the fourth edition. They want, okay, this, <laughs> this creature is worth this much XP. It's on the stat block, you know, which, you know, regardless of whether circumstances conspire to make that guy easier or harder to kill. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, after the encounter's over, man, um, I'm, dude, uh, if, if you go to, I think it's page 248, 249, 250 area of, of the Saga Edition core book where they talk about awarding experience points. They talk about what c l s are appropriate for the party level in terms of okay, this c l range would be a very difficult encounter. this c l range would be an easy encounter that's not too terribly threatening. Look at how threatening the encounter was. Mm-hmm. and then, okay, okay, well, you know what? this needs to be in this c l range at that point and right. and there you go. I mean that's nobody likes to hear that answer, but that's the answer I give. <laughs>
7: <laughs> it's a good answer i mean i've never been terribly confident about uh determining challenge levels and things like that so i actually bypass the entire issue altogether in my saga edition campaign i don't award experience what i do is i i kind of eyeball the the campaign as a whole and we'll play through a few encounter sessions uh, go through uh you know, maybe a few days in game or, or whatever it takes, you know, to get them through a number of encounters where I think that the players should be rewarded with a level increase. And then I just say, okay, everybody level up. Bingo.
3: I, That's exactly what I'm going to do when I run mine, dude.
4: I, I, I like that too. It just makes things nice and neat. And when you get to the end of the movie, quote unquote, guess what? You all are 11th level now.
7: Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you've got players like mine that, uh, kind of munchkin their way through the, the whole character creation process to make characters that can handle challenges that their level was never really designed to be able to handle, it, it bypasses entirely the problem where they kill lots and lots of um, difficult creatures and gain you know, the, the D&D style so much experience points for every encounter. Um, by doing this, you, you bypass that whole escalation entirely.
4: Exactly. And I find myself unconsciously doing this for years. I mean, TG, remember back when we used to play D&D, um, our, our early 3-5 games, and we'd finish the session, and I would sit there and hum and hum with over the calculator and go, okay, you all earned this much XP and, uh, and a bonus 300 XP for role-playing.
3: And now you, yeah. now you do it while you're sleeping?
8: <laughs> no,
6: no, then he would say, you have this much, you've gotten this much XP. How many more do you need to uh, level... All 300. right.
4: Like three hundred.
6: Um, everyone gets four hundred XP for role playing. <laughs> yeah,
4: because because I wanted them to level. And you know what? If I'd included one more Orc Warrior, they would have leveled, you know? But I didn't. So gee, you know, yeah, it's Yeah.
7: Yeah. yeah designing an adventure to, to go with, you know, a core rule set that has everything mathematically calculated out. That's always been a huge challenge for me.
4: Mm, it is. Well, okay, so to Dave's question, you 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 talked about when you're creating a map obviously closing off an encounter area right, right? um as a as a primary uh, way to 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 imbalance things okay um, mm-hmm. and, and to adjust that cl so i mean the converse if you want to balance out a map should you struggle to make it open i mean
7: um if not open at least accessible because um the more challenge you make the uh well, I don't know. There's there's kind of two ways of looking at it here. You want to want characters to be able to get around so that they can achieve their objectives and and have you know that Star Wars cinematic encounter. But uh, if you make it too easy, uh, characters' movement abilities that let them bypass these kinds of challenges, elevation. You know, characters that can uh, jump. You know, like the Jedi surging forth up to you know high rafters and things like this. Ah, uh, those abilities don't get to shine in your game if you know every room is just a flat surface where p- characters can move about easily. Um, but if you make it too hard, then your game is screwed. Frankly, um, I've I've found that things like chasms are a great way to uh, uh, block sections from movement while still allowing ranged weapons to to fire across. Uh, things like force fields are a great way to segment off a room while still allowing visibility without attacks
4: dude nobody uses force fields enough
7: oh i agree you can never have too many force fields
4: nobody uses them enough oh okay um i'm i'm I'm, dude i'm i i i i I like your ideas and would like to subscribe to your publication
7: Um. (laughs) um bridges are a great way to allow movement across an area that uh you might otherwise be treacherous and retractable bridges are um, an especial favorite of mine oh. because they can come and go as needed.
6: Ah. Oh, bridges. No, don't just they're fine as long as it doesn't involve a skill challenge and brev.
4: <laughs> Aww. Poor guy will never <laughs> live that down. He will
6: never live that down. No he won't. That was a horrible bridge.
7: <laughs> okay, I've got to hear oh. this. What? How did a skill challenge uh, present itself in the form of a bridge? Imagine- we, oh,
6: it was it was over a huge freaking chasm that we probably couldn't even see the bottom of, and it was a tiny little rickety bridge. And it's the best
7: kind of ba- chasm and the best kind of bridge. Go on. Mm-hmm.
6: Yes, but we all had to make. They were. It, it was either like a jump,
7: it or was, it, it was a, a skill, a
6: check. skill check.
4: challenge with two skill checks. That we could possibly make, Acro- like it was like acrobatics or climb. I think, ooh, yeah,
6: yeah or jump. I think it might have been jump. Either, w- whatever, acrobatics and yeah, climb. So, and none of us were trained in it. None of us.
7: I hate to throw you, throw you under a bus, Brev, but uh, in any skill challenge where you've only got one or two things that'll let you progress in it, yeah. ooh, you're in trouble.
4: But this was a long time ago, and furthermore, this was like. <laughs> This was like his fourth or fifth time GMing ever.
6: No, I think it was his first or second.
4: Yeah, it was. It was very early, and he learned since then, and, and has and has since given us, given me one of the greatest skill challenges I've ever played into my life, which is the yeah. infamous GM Brev dance off. Okay. <laughs> um, so the guy learned. I'm not, you know, you know, it's it's one of those things, you know. Wow, I learned, and, and not only did he learn, holy crap, did he learn? But,
7: um, but ah, uh, don't defend the man. It's easier to throw him under the bus. <laughs>
4: It's true. <laughs> God, like, God, I love the way you think, man. Uh, uh, but anyway, he, he was—he was gracious enough as these. So basically, these PCs failed and fell off the bridge to their dooms. Um, my <laughs> character was the only one who had move object, and so he would allow me as a reaction to grab them and bring them back up onto the bridge, right? Well, I only had one move object in my suite, and so I literally that skill challenge. I spent seven force points. <sighs> seven. The other Just to get your power the other option back. was Just to, throw to a Move object every single round. Yes.
6: We also had, there was only two of us that were able to actually help anybody who fell and everybody kept falling. And whenever they failed one of the checks, they would fall. So um, a rope, throwing a rope down as a reaction. And then as a reaction, the other person has to try to grab the rope. I mean, Mm. it sounds very, you know, cinematic, but it was
1: hard.
7: Uh, I've run adventures, uh, encounters like that in my D&D games. Uh, almost exactly like you describe, a rickety uh, rope bridge. The only problem is, uh, I, I don't know if it's really a problem, is I just had the, the gnolls that were running that ambush cut the bridge while they were on it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> problem solved, really. That's not a problem. That's a solution. <laughs> You're having trouble crossing the bridge? Hey, no problem. No, there's no bridge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But but speaking of throwing people under a bus, that's a great way to set up an encounter with cover. Have your enemies underneath buses.
6: Hey, uh, that's very interesting. That's a bad idea. So, um, Chris, yes. the magic yes. that you're known for. Wrong, Chris.
4: <laughs> Sorry.
6: The magic that you're known for making a map that makes people's jaws drop. Let's oh my. talk about that. So, graphically representing a map to your players. So, this obviously runs the gamut from the tiles to 3D terrain to custom printed maps to grid squares and wet erase markers.
7: Oh, yeah. I've used all those.
6: So, basics. What are some basics about how you go about making such freaking
4: awesome maps? Talking about professional (laughs) looking maps here. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. What, What tools do you use, man?
7: Um, Well, it it starts out with the same tools everybody has, you know, uh, or at least I hope they do, uh, you know, a piece of paper and a pencil. Uh, I've got a graph paper sketchbook, uh, actually a number of them here, that I start out all my ideas in, in pencil sketch in my sketchbook and take that, scan it into the computer. And almost everything else I do with the map is done in Adobe Photoshop. Now, not everybody has Photoshop. There's a lot of different things out there that people can use, but that's you know the one that I learned back in college. Um, largely taught myself, really, because back when I was in college, they were just starting up the whole process of uh, teaching you know computer-based graphic design. So uh, the computer lab was there, but the teachers didn't know how to use it. So we taught ourselves for a large <laughs> extent of it. Okay. Um,
4: now, you use Photoshop. Have you had a chance to use any of the any of the the map making programs out there, like like Pro Fantasy or Dungeoni?
7: I have not. Um, part of that is because, uh, as a result of my uh, college experience, I came out of that uh, a diehard Mac fan, uh, unashamed, ah. unabashed uh, a Mac aficionado, and uh, mm. so I've been using that ever since. And most of those uh, map making software packages. Are or started out originally as PC only, so I never really had much chance to use them. And by the time I did have access to them, I already knew how to use Photoshop, so I had no reason to. But I've heard, you know, good stories from people who've used them with great success. Um, I, you rarely will find them in in a professional publication, you know, used right. in you know like a Dragon magazine or Dungeon magazine. Um, professionally published maps will almost always be done with professional grade illustration software instead of you know map uh, design packages. But there's no reason that you can't put those to you know use in your own games to great effect.
4: Well okay then so let's say i'm I'm wanting to you know do something a little more professional or something that looks incredibly good. Um, any tips for the noob who's just getting into electronic map making in terms of, you know, learning the tricks of the trade or tutorials, anything of that nature?
7: Um, the best advice I can give to someone who's trying to practice their own skills at making uh, maps for their role-playing games is to use the tools that they already know. Uh, most people, by the time they've come out of school or college, they, they know how to use some kind of visual design software. And if not, you know, great. You can pick up whatever you want to, to try and learn. And you've got a fresh slate. You can start from start with that program, whatever it happens to be, whatever looks good to you. And you can learn how to develop a perfectly good map for your role-playing game um, with you know everything from MS Paint to Photoshop to these other things that we've talked about. Um, you're not really limited by the tool. What you're limited is uh, limited by is your amount of practice, uh, and that's really what it comes down to. Is is um you know, practice and patience and pixel pushing. <laughs>
6: <laughs> now, now, being a map aficionado in, in a different sense, not in the gaming sense necessarily, in the professional, anyways, okay. in job sense, um, a map is all great and fantastic, but it's no use unless you actually print it out. That's true. Right. So unless your
7: game is online, in which case you don't need to print it. But yeah,
6: that's true. true. So but so what are the printing options if you're gonna go through all the trouble to make this fantastic, professional looking, well designed map in a map design software or, or graphical design software. What do you do with it then?
7: Um. Well, it depends on your budget, really. Uh, well, you we could... we don't
4: we don't all run websites where we can print off thousands of copies, and you know.
7: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't either. I I have to take that to a professional printer and and you know pay big bucks to get the big print runs just <laughs> to keep the maps affordable. The big but, plotter.
5: Uh, yeah,
7: yeah, that's way out of my league. Um, I I don't have that. But um, for your average person who wants to print out a map that they've designed, there's nothing stopping you from using you know your inkjet printer that you have sitting next to your computer assuming you have one there um just print it out a page at a time and and tile it together with scotch tape i've done that lots i've done that with Mm -hmm. some of my professionally designed maps in the the play testing process where I'll, i'll print them out on paper and play with them and only then do i take it you know all the way to the you know finished development um but, you know, let's say that you want to do something a little bigger than that. You could take it to a place like Kinko's or, uh, you know, any number of places that have access to a plotter or something big and, and can print it out for you. Now, that's going to cost you some money. Um, generally, it's going to cost more if you get it printed in like a glossy, on, on glossy paper. But I highly recommend the extra expense because uh, maps printed out on matte uh, non-glossy poster paper just lack a lot of color depth in my experience i've never been happy with them printed that way yeah so if you can afford the glossy do the glossy
4: now i do have another alternative um i do i did want to take the chance to to pimp out one other thing um
7: dot com, .com,
4: dude oh yes um because that that awesome dude got his hands on the plotter and um Mm -hmm. You can send him. I th- I believe I believe he he will accept a JPEG, a TIFF, a PDF, or a PSD, which is the, the Photoshop um, file. And uh, if it's if it's like a twenty, like a a thirty, I think it's twenty four by thirty six map. It's seven dollars to have it printed.
7: Yeah, you and can't beat that. You can't. Um, he, sh-
4: and he ships it for three bucks. Okay. I don't know
7: how he manages to do that. it it, it astounds me. But yeah. uh, that he is really the- a great option for you.
6: Yeah. Or a plotter and the amount of ink that it takes yeah. to print one of those, it just amazes me.
4: That blows me oh, away. Yeah. But it's like yeah. it's it's seven bucks for a twenty-four by thirty-six. It's uh, ten dollars and fifty cents for a thirty-six by thirty-six, and it's um, uh, fourteen bucks for a thirty-six by forty-eight. Which is just that's huge. It is That'd
6: huge. Amazing for that's, something That's that absolutely
4: big. amazing. And then it ships for three bucks. I have talked to more than one person that has done this. Through through uh, and they've been very pleased with what they've gotten back um, cool. and and he works with you if 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 the file's corrupted or he can't he'll communicate with you and like you know hey this color's not coming yeah. out right do we you know yada 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 but yeah that's, I've bought quite
7: a few miniatures from him and his communication is top notch
4: I've got nothing but good things to say about him um, and and the business but uh, I w- I was blown away by that map offer I think that you know for the last two years at Gen Con and at Reaper Con, um, I, have, I have done what you mentioned earlier. I have, I have had uh, either um, – I've got a very good friend, GM Dom, uh, who's been on the show a couple times, um, who is uh, also a Photoshop um, whiz. He's not a guru like yourself, but he's a whiz. Um, and he's, <laughs> he, he um, threw together maps for the last two Wizards of the Coast adventures for Gen Con. And then for my own adventure for ReaperCon. And literally, it was, I was printing these out on my bubble jet printer, taping them together, and then taking them to Office Depot to get them laminated. Okay. Wow. And, and the lamination costs, you know, 6 or $7. Yeah. And for Pete's yeah. sake, at this point, uh, I've seen no reason why, I, not just, I mean, the, you know, at the, go, go from GM Starlight Games. That's, that's a hell of a deal.
7: Oh, yeah. So. And and if you can, you know, afford the lamination, I, I've never heard uh, anybody who wished they hadn't laminate their maps. Although you do have to be careful if you take it to the wrong place; they might not be as careful with your work as, as yes. you might like. And yes. I have heard a couple of stories of people who've taken things in to get them laminated and had them inadvertently destroyed in the process. Yeah. But if you know somebody you trust to do it, you know, uh, it makes your map much more versatile.
4: Yeah. Um, well, okay, then let's, let's talk about that because, okay, so let's say I I don't have a color printer or I I don't even have, uh, you know, I don't have mad Photoshop skills. All I have is, you know, once, once we've used this knowledge to create just a cool map and I've got it drawn out and I Mm -hmm. want to represent it in other ways. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about some of the non-electronic ways that we can go about representing maps at, at the game table. Um... I know earlier you mentioned uh, uh, you know tiles, um, using right. the, Star, the Star Wars tiles. How effective do you think they are? I mean, seriously. I mean, how versatile, um, how effective?
7: I think if you've got a couple of sets of those, you could easily put together any sort of encounter area. Well, I shouldn't say any, because there are very specific things that you probably couldn't. But I would think they're pretty versatile. The first set that we did... Um, I actually created two sets of galaxy tiles for Wizards of the Coast. I did all the artwork for them before Mm -hmm. the second set was uh, put on hiatus and and ultimately not published. Mm
5: -hmm.
7: Um, So I created two sets. One got published. And that first one, uh, they really put some effort into making it uh, versatile so that you could do any kind of basic layout that you might need. Um, I really wish that second set had come out. It had some really cool things in there. Uh, I can't remember. Did the first one have the TIE Fighter?
4: I do. I don't believe so.
7: Okay. Um, well, I can neither confirm nor deny that the second set would have had a TIE Fighter. <laughs>
4: <laughs> <laughs> see, that, that, see the stuff like that would have been awesome. But I, I wanted to ask you that because I knew, obviously, you were instrumental in that design. So you know these better than anybody. And I mean, for your standard Star Wars needs. I mean, and granted, they're, they're, they're out of print at this point. You can still find them. But, right. you know, they're out of print. I mean, I know my FLGS on the corner has about three copies in of, of Galaxy tiles. And, you know, mm-hmm. for, those, yeah. for those who are interested in a fairly inexpensive and durable way to, you know, yeah. display map portions, you know, in your opinion, how useful are they and what types of encounters can we see them being mapped to most often?
7: Uh, they're great for Imperial bases. If you've got a rebel campaign that all spends all of its time raiding Imperial facilities, oh, you're set. But <laughs> um, if you want to cross the Jundlin Wastes or uh, pitch a tent on Dagobah or something, they're not going to help you out. Right. Um, you're, you're, you're back to the square one with that. But I think the set was useful, but... It really didn't sell in the marketplace to the level that Wizards of the Coast wanted it to, and hence this is the reason that they didn't publish the second set, um, <laughs> which is a shame because I think the more sets you get out, the more useful they become.
4: It it, it is a shame. I I think, and I, I think I, I know I've talked about this with with TG quite a bit, and we've talked about it on the show before. There seems to be a well, excuse me, there seemed to be a a, a marketing model that they followed for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Which, which, and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems to me that they only published, if, if you consider Galaxy Tiles and GM mm-hmm. Screen, not, not considering those. If you consider the, the books, there was only right. one that was published for GM only use. Right. Only one. Which and, is
7: great if if they're trying to market each book to the broadest audience possible, ex- because you know,
4: exactly because you, yeah. I mean, if, from a marketing standpoint, you know what if you want these books to sell, you, you don't you don't get a book that, that one person out of a group of seven is going to buy. You get exactly. one that all seven people are going to buy because and all that's of them
7: that's really part of what uh, doomed the the Galaxy Tiles project, I think, from yeah. the beginning, um, but. I don't know. I don't think the idea is a bad one. I, I think it was very potentially successful. I think they they made a misstep in not printing the uh, colored uh, lines around the different terrain pieces on the tiles because yeah. the, the miniatures players would have picked them up to a larger extent to augment their their maps for uh, competitive play. Yeah, uh, not necessarily so much for the tournament aspect, but. Um, there are a lot of maps that have been published for the miniatures game that the competitive players don't find them as appealing because they might have wide open spaces in the middle because you know it's a a, a courtyard and that's what a courtyard is is a wide open space so a map like that isn't that competitive and doesn't get uh, into competitive play. But if you had these uh, galaxy tiles with the colored lines on them, more miniatures players could have picked those up and put them in uh, for casual uh, skirmish maps and just you know gone to town with that and that wasn't really an option it was I mean any creative player could pick it up say okay that's a barrel that's going to be a low object and stick it in their map but a lot of players just didn't uh, take that tact with it so uh, that was a shame I think but the idea I think is sound and I'm going to try and uh, publish some tiles of my own I've got a set of different cargo pieces I'm going to print up uh, if I can work this all out, I've got a plan to print terrain tiles
5: mm-hmm.
7: that you can cut them out yourself. Um, they'll be on like five by eight, five by seven cards with different, uh, crates, barrels, um, load lifters, droids, that kind of thing, all printed up on tiles. But the stock, if I can work this out with my printer to do it right, will be clear. It'll be, you know, a flexible, clear material so that you can have a, uh, A tile of a set of crates, and the crates themselves will be opaque, but the shadow printed on the tile will be translucent. So you can lay that down on a printed map, and there you go—you've got some crates and their shadow cast over whatever's on the ground.
4: I'm not okay. I'm—I'm not lying. I would buy the hell out of that.
7: I, I like hearing that. Uh, that is something I'm, I'm working <laughs> with my printer to, to see if we can do. My printer that I work with doesn't have one that can print with white ink, which is what they need to make those mm. opaque sections opaque, because otherwise you can see right through it wherever there would be white.
5: Right.
7: Um, but as soon as we can work it out and make it affordable, that's something that I'm definitely going to do, um, you know, with the caveat that it needs to be affordable.
4: Oh, but, that, that that's a great idea, though. Because that that would answer the solution of because it seems to me like you're so inspired by the mobile terrain idea the mobile cover idea, oh yeah. Um, that dude, if you could find a way to put that as you said on a pre-printed map, dude, that's that's brilliant. That's great.
7: Thank you. I, I hope it works out. Um, so yeah, that's that's something I'm working on. The same set, I, I've designed a uh, like a cargo uh, speeder truck. You, you read that story to your uh, audience on your podcast uh, yeah. a couple episodes ago. Well, that truck that I used in my game, I'm going to put that on one of those as well. So that eventually those will be available. Um, I've got those planned. I've got more poster maps planned, things like that. But um, I don't think the galaxy tile idea really uh, lived out to its full potential. So I'd like to see something like that happen.
4: Oh, I would buy the hell out of that. Just, just saying, just throwing that out there. <laughs> I'd buy <laughs> I'd that say. for a dollar. <laughs>
2: oh, <laughs> goodness.
6: So, Chris, if, um, if you don't have a nice, sp- spiffy, wonderful map that's already been pre-printed, and you don't have tiles, what do you do?
7: Um, sit in the corner and cry.
6: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a map maker would. <laughs>
7: well, okay. I mean, do
6: you, do, do you actually use hand-drawn maps in any of your games?
7: Oh, all the time. Um, yeah. In fact, it's it's kind of a running joke at my table where uh, we'll sit down to play and I'll take out a, a, just a plain white piece of paper and start drawing out the map or I'll use uh, the uh, gamingpaper.com product, great stuff, and lay that out and draw out a map. And my players will all look at me like, you do this for a living? Because <laughs> my hand-drawn maps are crap. <laughs> and my players all know it. They've seen... Uh, you know, like the, the the starship and things that I have on my website, they they, they experienced all of those maps before they were done uh, to uh, any kind of professional standard. So they know what kind of crap I lay down on the table, and it's still playable. You know, it it doesn't have to look like uh, a piece of Renaissance art in order to be playable in a Star Wars game because it's all it's all lives in your imagination anyway. Obviously, the the more art that you can put out there to give a sense of the, the location will enhance your game. But role players generally are intelligent people and creative people and can use their imaginations to fill in the, the blanks.
4: Generally. Um, yes. Now I'm dude, I'm glad you brought up gaming paper. And I know after our Gen Con show in 09, uh, we kind of, mm-hmm. we kind of pimped them out at uh, it's www.gamingpaper.com. But it's just like for like four bucks, you can buy a butcher block roll of, paper that is just covered with one-inch squares.
5: Oh, yeah. yeah.
7: They've, they've got hexes down, too, if that's your thing.
4: Oh, dude. That's, oh. that's just absolutely brilliant. Um, now, one thing I know I, I use in my, for nearly every game I run, because um, I, I hand-draw my maps as well, is um, I would love to do it now with like, some gaming paper stuff, because it's big. But if you buy a, some of the starter sets of, of uh, Star Wars miniatures, um, they usually come, obviously, with, with a map and right. some of the older sets came with a map that was uh had had your your full map on one side most likely one that you had done um, mm-hmm. and then yeah, the other side and then the other side was just a blank grid
7: yeah i did um, all of the poster maps that came out for star wars miniatures except uh coraban uh, actually oh
4: well, there you go
7: now uh, i didn't design them all originally i was for most of my career working for wizards i was given sketches to work from but uh, Yeah, I did, you know, do the the final illustration work on all but Corban.
4: So you have your beautiful map on one side, and then on the other you have uh, this blank grid. So Mm -hmm. you can take that map, flatten it out, you know, on a table with a couple books to get it nice and flat, take it down to your local lamination company, whatever that is, um, and let them laminate it. And all of a sudden you have a laminated you know, one-inch grid on one side and then your nice map on the other. That one-inch grid, man, that that's just what I use. And wet-erase markers and dry-erase markers as well. Wet-erase markers for the main map. And then if you have, you know, status effects that have to go down or terrain that can be removed or moved, you can use the dry-erase markers on that as well. And it all works mm-hmm. on the lamination surface. So, um, right. you know, then you can just wipe that stuff away with your th- with your thumb when it needs to go away, and then you can spray down the whole thing at the end of the encounter. Oh, um, yeah. Fantastic, but I don't know there's there's a couple good options. I, I yeah. like I, I
7: because like that uh, that blank uh, battle grid is out of print now. I've yeah, been actually given hard. some more thought, you know, very recently to the idea of printing up uh, more like it with different kind of uh, floor grading, but essentially the same idea, just a big empty space that people can laminate and work with.
4: Yeah, and you know, it's it's one of those things. I it would it would most likely sell. Um, cool. Bottom line, I mean, there's people that want it. You know, you know, you never know, but yeah, dude, right. I, 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 that would be, that would be a, a good thing. So
7: cool. I'll give that some more thought.
4: <laughs> well,
7: there you go. See, this um, is good. This is good. Two way communication. I'm getting ideas from you as well.
4: Oh, see that we're, we're here to serve. I like, well, okay. T- talk to me about, so okay, you, you mentioned, okay, you, you've done, you've done several of the maps for the starter sets. A lot of maps are out of print now. Yeah. Let's talk about purchasing professional maps. Um, I know there's a lot of existing maps out there, um, from from the ones that you have, obviously at Maps of Mastery, mm-hmm. um, uh, to the Star Wars miniatures maps that you have created for Watsy. Um, yeah. Okay, we, we've already we've already talked about the the, the cool map we used in Brev's game, um, but do you have any recommendations on any existing maps that either you or others, I, you know, I, I'm not sure. Um, have done that are out there that can serve multiple purposes that can be used again and again and again. Those that rise above in terms of their reusability. Um, if somebody's wanting to make that purchase um, and they want to get the
7: most out of it. Um. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the very first one that they put out, uh, the Death Star map that has the blank battle grid on the other side, yeah, uh, is a very useful map because it has a lot of distinct areas that are key to a lot of scenes in the Star Wars movies. You know, it's got a little detention bay. Uh, It's got an operations center. It's got a hangar bay, a control center, a a cargo bay, a medical suite. Um, It's got a a maintenance area for droids and uh, uh, like a tractor beam control thing that like the thing that Obi-Wan goes out and shuts off. Um, And that's all just in one uh, 22 by 34 inch map. So um, that that's quite a lot to put in there. Um, as for maps that are just generally useful across the board, it's hard to pick one specific beyond that because it all depends on the kind of terrain that your your battle is taking place in, and that's really what everything has to cater to is what's going on in your game. But we've got a lot of them out there. In fact, I think uh, Gary Sarley at uh, gmsarleygames.com is, sells uh you know, individual maps that he's picked up from the different sets. So if you're looking for one that's out of print, that's another place that you can go to check that out.
4: Yeah, um, I uh, think he's I think he's got he's got desert hanger. Um, he's got like one left of, of uh, Endor bunker. Okay, and, and Ravage base, yeah. and he's, and he's a- designed his own there
7: too, I believe. So, yeah.
4: Yeah. and uh, he's got a, he's got a few of the the Masasi Temple, Rancor pit.
7: Cool. Yeah, so. those are good. Uh, that Rancor pit—I've been uh, planning to use that in my own games. I've, I'm sending my players out to meet Jabba the Hutt for the first time, so nice. uh, I think that Rancor pit might be useful. Just, just a hunch. <laughs> just, uh, just a hunch. Yeah. Exactly. But <laughs> uh, another one that should be useful in a lot of Star Wars games is the freight transit station that comes in the Clone Wars starter set for the Star Wars miniatures. Uh, it's got a map of Christophsis on the on the backside. That's the crystal planet from the Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that freight transit station was sort of inspired by an episode of the older Clone Wars cartoon. You know, the
4: the uh, uh, the Gandi one.
7: Yes, exactly. Thank you. Um, there, there's a battle that takes place on a, like a train station there, and that is where that that idea originally came from. But I tried to make it a little more useful by adding freight cars and things like that. But that train station, I, I'd like to highlight that one because it actually lines up to the map that I published my own uh, on the back of my Exodus class courier map, the off-world shipping center. It's got that same thing that TG mentioned earlier with the the recessed pits that the trains, the, those magnetic yeah. trains travel through, and they actually lined up end-to-end. And I'm in the process of developing a flip side to my off-world shipping center that can be placed next to it to expand that uh, landing platform and the facility there. So if you get a couple of those uh, freight transit stations from the Clone Wars starter and put yeah. it together with the maps I'm selling now and one that I'm planning to sell, hopefully sometime this year, uh, you can make one heck of a huge area. And it's, it's got enough, I think, it has enough different kinds of areas to be useful in a lot of different Star Wars applications.
4: Oh, that's great. Awesome, um, <laughs> very cool well okay we've we 've talked a lot about getting your feet wet in terms of map making, what existing maps you can look at, elements of design when you're when you 're creating maps yourself i guess let's let's bring this conversation to a close and talk about some some final thoughts to the gamers out there that are looking to become. Cartomancers like you. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, lo- I love that word. We uh, TG and I just finished um, uh, Michael Stackpole. Um, of course, aside from being a Star Wars author, does a lot of fantasy writing. Oh, and, indeed. And uh, he wrote a, uh, a series of books a little while ago. Um, and the middle book was called Cart- was called Cartomancy. Uh, <laughs> very very cool. So, talk to us, dude. Final thoughts, tips, hints.
7: Um. Uh- well, the main thing is don't give up uh, because when I started making maps, uh, I didn't even know what a layer was in Photoshop or how to make it work. So I started drawing it pixel by pixel of this little uh, space bar for the Alternity game, uh, the Star Drive campaign setting. Oh, uh, a Bar map. Ah, uh, yes. That goes way back. But uh, actually my first – one of my first paid gigs was at the end of the Alternity uh, game. Wow. But uh, wow. my maps sucked, frankly. Um, at least I thought so. But I was putting the time in and I went through a couple of different practice things. I, I saw the map in that alternative game, and that inspired me to try and make a starship map of my own. And I created that. And um, I can't remember exactly how, but somehow Rob Lazaretti, who was Wizards of the Coast's head of cartography at that time, they had their whole uh, cartography department. Um, he actually tracked me down in an online chat room that I was hosting at the time to let me know how much he liked that map that I had put together. And he was the one that gave me the first, uh, alternative job that I had. Oh. Uh, that, and that was just designing little starship icons and, uh, like little tactical grids for the warships PDF file. Uh, but around the same time I started working in, in dungeon magazine, thanks to Chris Perkins and others. And, um, uh, but yeah, that was the first sci-fi thing I did. And later on, when they got the Star Wars license, they brought me on board to do um, Starship maps for all the editions of Star Wars role-playing they've done since. So um, yeah, it, it takes patience. You know, you, you get started, and you might not think your stuff is any good, but the more time you put into it, uh, the better it will get. So if you're actually looking to get a career in cartography, um, just stay with it, keep at it, uh, pay attention to light and shadow because shadows and depth will separate uh, a good map from the ones that aren't so good and uh, yeah that's so
6: true for so many arts for saying oh, yeah. that's that's an art oh lights yeah lights and shadows is the, is always the key
7: mhm if you want to create a realistic illusion of depth you need shadow without it everything is just flat and bland Yep. That's what she said. <laughs> <laughs> uh Trust GM Dave to highlight the conversation. Of course. <laughs> well said, sir.
3: I'm sorry. I got a phone call in the middle of that and had to duck away for a little while. Well, welcome back. Yes, welcome. indeed. So I want to take the time right now to say that...
7: Oh, no, not the sad panda music.
3: Well, I wanted to say thank you to come on, for you coming on the show. Again. Oh, thank
7: you for having me on.
4: Absolutely. Great blast. Thank you for your information, dude.
7: Oh, it's been a pleasure being here. Thanks, guys.
4: And
3: so um, we probably will have to ask you to come back in a couple of weeks as we celebrate episode 100.
7: Oh, I'd love that.
3: Yep, if you're uh, available somewhere on the neighborhood of march 21 and i imagine that we'll start our show probably who knows we may start at six o'clock central and end at like 10 (laughs) but we'll be pulling guests in and all manner of goodness that will happen on episode number 100 we have a big announcement to make on 100 you guys look forward to that Mm-hmm. And hit us up on iTunes. We might iTunes. have a uh,
7: contest finishing as well.
3: We do have it. That's right. We'll be able to announce. A, well, I don't know that we'll be able to announce a contest winner yeah, at I that think point.
4: Judging, judging might take a little longer than that. But
3: yeah, I'm hoping to get so many entries that we have to judge them all.
7: Well, if uh, TG's little girl uh, enters, then we won't need to take any time judging at all. It'll just automatically win.
4: That's right. Yeah,
7: <laughs> win first, second,
4: and third place. That's All right. of it. Right. First,
3: first
7: place. Fetus. Second place. Plus. Jana That's that's a good way to encourage her to get out and that will free you up for Gen Con. <laughs>
5: exactly.
7: Oh yeah.
4: Uh, we, could prob- we could probably second. have her register some events at Gen Con too. Fetus! Yeah, draw- you <laughs> encounter <laughs> encounter design with the Fetus. <laughs> wow. Oh. Wow. It's like where's the baby? Oh, she's on a panel. <laughs> Oh, fear.
7: Yep. <laughs> Look at that. We've oh, got that th- kind of celebrity. Just it comes along once in a blue moon. Yeah. <laughs>
5: <laughs> That's true.
3: Awesome. Well, uh, again, thank you very much to Christopher West. Thank you to uh, Dan Pomeroy, Alex, Trevor, Fiddleback, Full On Gamer, everybody who you heard today with contributions and. Uh, other sorts thanks you thank you to the liners provided by Brett even though it was a game on liner and the <laughs> one you're about to hear from AJ here in just a second as we wrap up the show and so if you guys have any liners you want to send us please do so either at by email gm dave GM chris twitter goodness at d20radio.com call the loser line 206-600-5872 or by Skype. I do have voicemail on my Skype if you want to do that. I'm GM Dave. And look me up. So And follow, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Twitter. Give us an iTunes review and all that good stuff as we wrap up this episode 98 of the Order 66 podcast.
4: Thank you all. Peace, love, and good gaming. And keep them dice rolling.
6: May they be full of the force.
2: Yay. Yeehaw. <laughs> 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 I never listen to the L66 podcast. Happy one this episode, guys.
0: D twenty radio where gamers roll